0: Hollywood is rated LGBT radio starring your host, Rob Watson. Welcome, welcome, welcome to rated LGBT radio. I am your host, Rob Watson. Today we have a really exciting show, um, a new film has launched on a couple of the streaming services. It has made its way um, through a couple of film festivals, not without controversy, which is always very exciting, um, but it is uh, a deeply moving film, even though it builds itself as a dark comedy, um, but uh, super exciting. The film is called Waking Up Dead, and um, I think you can tell from the title that there's, some uh, dark tongue-in-cheek in there. Um, the description of the film is beautiful and self-destructive hotshot actor Danny Maldonado was once about to conquer Hollywood. Now, just a few years later, his career has flatlined, his boyfriend has dumped him, and his long estranged drug addict mother is dying. But when he's called into audition for the lead role in the most talked about new series in Hollywood, Danny vows to clean up of his act, win back his ex, and give the greatest audition of his life. What could go wrong? And um, as I'm sure you're guessing, things go wrong. Um, the film was uh, a landmark in itself. It was filmed in 11 days. It was filmed during the pandemic. In fact, it was only one of um, one of the only films that was given permission to film during the pandemic, and it was written and directed by director Terracino, and uh, we have him waiting on deck, and he's going to tell us all about it, but um, yeah, it, it's an exciting, exciting piece of work, and you can go watch it almost right away, which is equally as exciting. So uh, before we get into that, I do want to welcome on board... The editor of the Los Angeles Blade magazine and the uh, co-host of this show. Um, that is when he decides to show up. <clears throat> uh, but anyway, welcome to the show, Brody Levesque. <laughs> good, good afternoon.
1: And fairness and indefense, uh, back-to-back editorial calls, and I lost track of the time. So my apologies to you listeners and Rob, of course.
0: Um, well, they, the they they didn't notice, <laughs> but but Brody is very important, and it is not an easy feat that he has to put out the Los Angeles Blade every single day. So um, there you go. Anyway, what's going on, Brody? Well,
1: the... the tip of the iceberg has occurred. The red wave didn't occur. And we just went through a midterms that have not been seen in about roughly almost five decades. Normally, during a midterm cycle, the incumbent president uh, and his party loses. And they usually lose bigly because the American people will give them a chance for a couple of years and get pissed off and switch parties. You had to use that
0: word. You had to use that word. Bigly. Okay. All right. There we go. All right. Okay, Donald Trump. Go for it.
1: (laughs) And that's exactly the elephant in the room, actually, for both parties. The former, twice impeached President of the United States, Donald Trump. Um, We're still obviously walking through uh results we, we are actually not going to know until probably mid-december uh who actually has control of congress um there are two senate races still out right now the house the senate is divided uh in its chamber uh 48 to 48 one of the all-important uh races will be in georgia and uh there's no telling how that one's going to turn out Um, we're looking at the numbers uh, in the U.S. House, and the House is kind of strange. Right now, the Republicans are showing a plus 7 to 10 seat advantage. That's it. That's like practically nothing. Um, However, not all the House seat results are in. There is a really good possibility that you may see a divided House of Representatives. Um, So we're also watching races like that. Now, the big thing that came out of this midterm was it was a really good midterm for the LGBTQ uh community writ large. We had the largest slate of queer candidates elected to local, state and federal offices ever. This was also the first time we've had, you know, historic uh number of candidates that identify LGBTQ plus running. But what was really interesting, and the Victory Fund pointed this out, uh, as did Equality California, and some of the conversations that I've had with them, that while the candidates were embracing their LGB, uh, LGBTQ identities, they were just that was like secondary. They were laser focused on the issues that were affecting their neighbors and constituents, and that seriously resonated across the board. Now there were so many races, but but some real highlights. Uh, we now have two openly lesbian governors of two different states, and this is a historic first. Mara Healy is now the governor-elect of Massachusetts. Uh, and over on the our coast in Oregon, uh, the former uh, longest-serving speaker in Oregon history and in, in the legislature is now the governor-elect of Oregon. So congratulations out to Governor-elect Kotek and, uh, of course, Governor-elect uh, Mara Healy in Massachusetts. Uh, in addition to those, we had a very powerful black LGBT ally elected as governor of Maryland. So congratulations to Governor Moore, Governor-elect Moore. Um, my friend Jared Polis got reelected again. Uh, congratulations, Governor. Um, interestingly enough, next door in Kansas, uh, Democratic Governor Laura Kelly, who has been a champion for our community, Uh, She's vetoed several anti-LGBTQ, anti-trans measures that were sent to her by the Republican uh, majority-held legislature. She's amazing. Governor Kelly will remain Governor Kelly for another term, just north of her. Long time, long time, LGBTQ ally and the guy that issued an executive order to get rid of conversion therapy, Tim Waltz won his second term as minnesota governor governor waltz if you're listening congratulations tim well done um in pennsylvania a very closely watched race between the attorney general josh shapiro and an anti-lgbtq QAnon, and i'll say it now nutcase douglas mastriano ended up with pennsylvania now has a democratic governor who's got sanity governor-elect shapiro congratulations sir and the Empire State, someone that I've met a few times and think the world of, is been elected to her first full term as governor. So for New York Governor Kathy Olso, congratulations, Governor. Uh, in other races across uh, the United States, here in California, we had a, a huge historic first. And this is a person who actually has been on the air with you and I, Rob. Congratulations to Congressman-elect. Robert Garcia, who is the first out LGBTQ immigrant ever elected to Congress. Uh, Congressman-elect Garcia will be representing California's 42nd congressional district. Um, So congratulations uh, is in order, obviously, for um, Bobby Garcia, who's currently, by the way, mayor of Long Beach, although probably not for very much longer. Um, in Florida, person uh, was heavily backed by our good friends at Equality Florida and, of course, friend of the show, Brendan. Uh, oh, so congratulations to a Gen Zer, the first one to win a congressional seat at age 25. So Maxwell Alejandro Frost, uh, shout out to you. He will now be representing Florida's 10th congressional district. In New York, we had an interesting race, Rob. We had two openly gay guys, one a Democrat and one a Republican uh running against each other for the same newly drawn district uh in queens and nassau counties which is of course uh, the long island area um democrat uh, bob zimmerman uh conceded uh on wednesday morning to republican mm-hmm. george santos uh santos will now be representing that seat in congress um in new hampshire we had uh the congressman up there reelected, which is really cool. I've actually met him a couple times. Mike Lavers knows him. So Representative Chris Pappas of New Hampshire and the first congressional, congratulations, sir. Uh, one Senate seat, Rob, that we've been watching closely, and I'm so happy on this one, in Pennsylvania again. But the <laughs> Democratic Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman beat Dr. Oz. And this was even after suffering a You know, stroke five months ago. He's still recovering from. But, you know, Senator-elect Fetterman will be taking his seat on January 6th when the new Congress uh, meets. Friend of the show and uh, state senator from Delaware, Sarah McBride. Sarah, call out to you to, uh, again, one re-election in the District 2 in the Delaware Senate. So congratulations there. Uh, That's really cool. Um, Also of note, couple of really historic uh, things happen. I want to give a shout out to uh, Lee Finnecke, who is now representing Minnesota's State House District 66. Uh, Finnecke is now the first out trans person ever elected to the Minnesota State Legislature. Even more incredible, and I think this is really cool, uh, in the state of Montana. We have another out trans representative, and this is a first time also for the state uh, of Montana. So congratulations going out uh, to Zoe Zephyr. Uh, Zoe will take her seat uh, in the Montana state legislature, which I think is really cool. And to go along, flipping back to the East Coast and New England for just a minute, I wanna give a shout out to James Rosner. Uh, James was elected to the state legislature in New Hampshire. And he is the first ever out trans man ever elected to a state legislature. If you'll remember, Rob, our first transgender state-level lawmaker was, of course, Danica Rome from Prince William County, Virginia. And when she was elected a few years ago, I believe 2018, uh, to the Virginia uh, Assembly. Across the board, though, overall for the community, it was really win-win-win. There were some measures that also won. Uh, We had voters in Kentucky and a couple of other states turned down uh, amendments to the Constitution of those states uh, that would have codified an abortion ban. The voters said, wait, not so fast, not happening. And here in California, mm-hmm. voters enshrined the right of abortion into the Golden State Constitution. Overall, looking at it, and again, Rob, we still have a ways to go. It'll probably be mid-December by the time all of the processes, you know, sort <clears throat> themselves out here in Los Angeles, of course. We still don't know who's going to be mayor right now. There's a slight lead by billionaire businessman and real estate magnate um, Caruso over Representative Karen Bass uh, for the mayor's seat. Mm -hmm. We don't know. Uh, However, uh, for some uh, Angelenos, it was a good night. Uh, The former sheriff, Villa Nueva, was beaten by the uh, former police chief of... Long Beach, Robert Luna, so Sheriff Luna, uh, uh, well, Sheriff-elect Luna will take over from Villanueva. And then probably a little bit of karma. Last night, the Los Angeles District Attorney, George Gascone announced that he was beginning a criminal probe into Villanueva for some campaign funny stuff because he was doing things mm. that aren't exactly ethical. So it'll be nice to see the screen door slam on Villanueva's butt on the way out the door. Anyway, so that's it for politics, Rob. Yeah,
0: no, that's interesting. The the one question I have um, before we move on is just on the initiative that won in California um, enshrining the right to abortion for California. What exactly is going to happen should Congress pass their um, abortion-restricting law that um, they were uh, something about before the midterms? It will make for an extremely
1: entertaining Supreme Court session. Uh, not, to, not so entertaining with the Supreme it, Court, but yeah. Well, no, it'll have to go to the Supreme Court because there will be a challenge. The thing is, there is the 10th Amendment. And the power reserved to the state will apply. It will literally trigger lawsuits that the Supreme Court is ultimately going to have to make a decision on. This one if Congress is able to go there, fortunately um, we have a president who would veto it and right. there's probably not enough votes to overturn it with the house and the Senate so closely divided. And most political observers, including yours truly, we don't think the, we don't think that the main part of the Republican party is probably going to even attempt that because it's just, it's a non-starter.
0: Good. Okay. okay. All right. Good. All right. Well, thanks so much, Brody. Um, Moving on, um, we want to recast our our vision towards the new film *Waking Up Dead*. And uh, with that, uh, I want to welcome the director uh, to the to the show, uh, Terracino. Welcome to the show. Hey, can you guys
2: hear me? Okay. You sound great. Yeah, sound, sounds sounds hey, really good.
0: Tell Brody, so hi.
2: I think Republicans are going to end up two twenty five in the House.
0: Two twenty-five.
2: Okay. Yeah, he's
0: he's got his finger on the pulse. So there you go. Yeah, I do. I'm um, with
2: politics.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, as 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 am I, as is he. But uh, I want to I want to switch focus back to your film. Now you took ten years between your previous film and this one. What
2: what what has been going on for you? Sure. Um, well, my last film, Elliot loves was this micro-budget film. It was an $80,000 movie, and it had animation and visual effects in it, and it took me years to make, and I kind of wasn't eager to get behind the camera as a director again. I really wanted to concentrate on writing, you know. So um, I was working on a lot of projects. I used to live in New York. I moved to L.A. in 2015, and I'm still here now, and I've actually been really happy because I was working on a ton of projects out here. But... They, they, they weren't getting into production. Like, I, I sold a pilot, and then I had a series development deal. But the, the work wasn't getting out there. And then, like, a lot of artists in L.A., you wake up and you realize, well, on the one hand, I've been working, but I, I haven't – my work isn't getting out there. You know what I mean? You can get stuck in development right. like in Hollywood. Um, and, and years can fly by, and that's always kind of disconcerting when you wake up and you're like, oh, my God, I've been so busy, but five years have, got, have gone out the window between projects. You know, and um, so I was hired to write for um, a big uh, premium cable series. Um, And that was a big gig for me, and I was really excited about it. And then um, it kind of went down the toilet, and I made a claim of sexual harassment. And it's a long story, but there was an investigation, and I got a small settlement in my favor. Uh, Right. And I decided well, I could just sit around now being pissed about the situation or I could do something and, and uh, my very good friend, Kerry Barden, who's a huge casting director, he cast The Help and um, Boys Don't Cry and Sex in the City and he cast my prior film, Elliot Loves. He's like, okay, well, why don't you do one more micro-budget film? Take the small check you got and make another micro-budget film. You know what I mean? Like get out of your funk and get some work out there. And it was, it was great advice. You know, and um, so I wrote the script "Waking Up Dead," which is about this gay Latino actor in Hollywood, but was also in many ways, of course, about my experiences in Hollywood. You know what I mean? Right. And yeah, um, I was going to
0: say that it sounds like because the there is a lot of anger in this script. I
2: mean, mm-hmm. it is you know
0: the the I mean that is really a, a core through line for the main character is anger.
2: And um, was yeah.
0: that therapeutic for you to get
3: that out?
2: You know, it's really kind of profound you should say that. It's something I really didn't key into until after I made the film. <laughs> and I was uh-huh. editing the movie. <laughs> and I was like, you know, I see, Like, I wasn't conscious of it because I enjoyed writing the script and I loved shooting the movie. And so I wasn't conscious of it. But, you know, as an artist, you look back after the fact and you can see things, you know. And I wasn't really conscious of the, of the anger part but yeah i I mean i I think it was cathartic because i i must have i definitely worked through a lot a lot about my views of la and hollywood you know that i wasn't conscious of when i was writing it but now i see it yeah and because he is angry and you know and um i wrote the script and and carrie even though we had no money because he's such an a-list guy we put together this amazing cast you know tracy lord's and Judy Geason, who made her debut opposite Sidney Poitier in To Sir With Love and was on Mad About You. And she retired, but um, she came out of retirement to do, you know, for lack of a better term, my little film, you know. And just as we got cast up, Tracy Lords was the last one to come aboard. And the day after she came aboard, we went into lockdown for COVID. And it was kind of this assumption, I think, that we weren't going to shoot or, you know, what was this, you know, here we are, it's, it's March. I think we went into the lockdown on March 17th, March 15th, right, you know, and Tracy had come aboard like March 13th. And then, but I, I, I don't know what it was. If it was naivete or determination, but I was like, nah, we're going to find some way and, and I'll get SAG to approve us to shoot. And, you know, nobody knew what was going on with COVID. We'd never been through anything like this. And, um, yeah, no, totally. you know, my producers and I, we, we just kept like a very loving, happy, open line of communication with SAG, you know, and then at the end of June, SAG said, okay, we'll approve you to shoot. And the reason why they approved us to shoot is because it was a micro budget film that's largely single location and we were going to shoot it in 11 days. They felt it was kind of safe because, you know, it wasn't like we'd be running all over town. You know what I mean? So I, oh, I found to yeah, have yeah, very intimate, yeah, exactly. And, and so I found the house, and we had to have the house, you know, decontaminated and cleaned. But they're like, if you stick to that, and there were some hardcore rules. I couldn't shoot more than twelve hours a day. Um, I I I I I I couldn't get any reshoot days. Like you, you know, it was a little. I was kind of just locked myself in, and this is it. What I could get in eleven days is what I could get. But it was also kind of exciting for me as a director. And as you pointed out, by now, years had gone by from my prior film. And I just, the way you have to look at it is, okay, the universe is saying, this is your shot. You're going to learn to move fast. You know what I mean? You just have to go with it in terms of your relationship to the universe, you know? And that's been an important journey for me as a gay Latino artist. Um, because, you know, my, my, I, I go back to the 90s. My short debut at Sundance in the 90s so I remember when people weren't hiring Latino writers and people didn't like artists mm-hmm. who were out so I still have one foot in like a very different world from the world we live in now you know in a very different industry and I was like okay so now this has come my way and I'm going to move fast and embrace it and it's just important to me as I say to have harmony with the universe because as an artist like the lead character does you could put yourself in opposition to the universe you could always have a chip on your shoulder you can always be angry you know what I mean? And that never works out. It'll just eat up at you from inside. So I'm just at a point in my life and career where it's like it's all about harmony. And I'm like, I'm going to, if SAG says I have to do this in 11, 12-hour days, then I'm going to embrace it, you know. And um, Yeah, no,
0: it, it, which is, is actually a competitive advantage for you because you were able to do something other films literally could not do at the time. I mean, everybody else exactly. literally shut down. That's so great. It
2: was was a competitive advantage. Absolutely. It's so great you should say that. I mean, that's the way we looked at it because I had friends and, and, you know, they couldn't shoot because it was just too complicated. Remember, we had no vaccine. L.A. was still in lockdown. Um, We were the fifth film to go into production in L.A. at the height of the pandemic. There were only four before us and we were the only micro-budget. You know, and we were the only project where it was all people of color. We just had this niche exclusive to ourselves, and I, wanted, I was really proud of that. You know what I mean? And we got yeah, a lot no, of absolutely. press we in the Hollywood Reporter, and we were on the BBC, because everybody wanted to profile this film that was shooting when no one else could shoot, you know. And it was actually, I mean, we, just, we literally got international press. I was in the Times of London. The Hollywood Reporter wrote about us twice. And it is exciting, and together, because everyone loves publicity in Hollywood. You know what I mean? It's like it, right. It kept, right. That, it kept us all together, um, and it was not a hellish shoot at all. Um, you know, well, no one else ask you. Uh, yeah,
0: I wanted to ask you about um, some of your cast because you the movie centers on um, Danny, who's obviously the, mm-hmm. the the key figure. But it, I mean, yeah, heavily. I mean. Um, uh, Gabriel Sousa, who plays him, really had the weight of the film and there are some really stunning performances throughout the film with other uh, characters in the Thank script. You. but I mean it weighed on him incredibly I mean he's beautiful he had, he had absolute moments in the film that were where he was just stunning um, but how how do what was the search to find him and
2: the casting process? Um, that made you confident he could do that for you? Well, you know, this is interesting. So, like I said, we were casting pre-pandemic, right? And we had no problem casting any of the roles except for the lead, except for Danny. Um, and the, the lead, the, the issue with casting the lead role was that, you know, we were a, were a $50,000 oh. movie. Like, that's how much it costs to make the movie, which is nothing. Mm-hmm. Pennies. Um, but like I said, you know, Carrie encouraged me just just raise a little money so you can go into production fast because at this point it had been years since my prior film. So, you know, and the problem is all the supporting roles were easy to fill and we had, and I'm not joking, we had like a roster of A-list actresses who wanted those supporting roles. Especially because there's a lot of great roles in this film for actresses over 40, you know? So that was not a problem but a lot of actors don't necessarily want to take on a lead in a micro-budget film. Um, that's a, that's a gay Latino film. The, the lead role was really hard to film. But it was really hard to film because a lot of agents did not want to submit their clients for it. You know, because it was a no-budget movie and L.A. is not into that. You know what I mean? Right. So right. Um, well,
0: and and I mean the film is very. First of all, the scrutiny of that lead actor because he does he has to carry things in a kind of a comedic way, a tragic way, yeah. intense way. Um, he's virtually naked through a lot of the films. I was
3: going to nudity, which I yeah. you know is
2: essential to the role because of who he is because he's like a hypersexual. Right.
3: So there was no
2: way of doing the role without some nudity, you know. And yeah, and, and that was an issue too. But again, it was only the lead role. All the other roles, top agents were submitting their big clients for. That was not the issue. It was just the lead, yeah. you know. And as an agent said to me, "Do I want to give you my client for twelve days in a no-budget movie where he's not going to make any money, when instead he could be, um, when instead he could be auditioning for pilots? You know what I mean? Like, right. it, it's a lot of agents didn't think it was. And I got that. You can't dispute that. I got the logic, you know. And so we, we Carrie and I had a really tough time with it. And straight up, you know, Gabriel is straight. He's heterosexual." and Gabriel pursued the role and I thought I don't want my gay lead to go to a straight actor I'm being honest you know I was like yeah. I, I wanted it to be a gay actor but Gabriel and he's brilliant and you know he works all the time he's been on Westworld and he's he's he's, he's been on all of these big projects but like, he works all the time and one of my producers Emmy Emmy Grigion, who produced Elliot, loves this. And finally, you know, Emmy said to me, we have this hot up-and-coming actor and he's pursuing the role, so stop fighting it. I really was just resistant because he's straight, to be honest, you know? Right. And so I thought, but finally Emmy was like, he's, and he's hot, literally, because he's gorgeous. You know, Gabriel's gorgeous. And he's an angel. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I had to, I was resistant because he's straight, which is just weird where the industry's at now. Because, you know, back in the day, nobody wanted to play a gay role, you know? And now I got this, this this straight actor with this really big career, and he really wanted this role, you know. And this was before exactly. the pandemic. And so you know, and I cast him, and it was like magic. He was amazing. I loved working with Gabriel. I yeah. love Gabriel. He's a
0: sweetheart. Yeah. No. He and like I said, there there are moments of of absolute brilliance throughout the film where he just you know completely nails everything he's got everything weighs mm-hmm. on him he's absolutely the through line it, it the film does not continue without him and um oh. and he is stunning he's it just absolutely there. are there you could freeze frame different different portraits throughout the film and they would make like just stunning photographs and
2: um and absolutely. Images. Yeah. Oh. yeah he's beautiful he's got a yeah. great
0: body and he's a sweetheart yeah yeah, I, I want to pivot to um some of the actresses that that you had though cuz uh, and uh, not just to the actresses but to your writing for them because both Tracy Lords and Judy Geeson have these monologues in the film that you know um acting classes should grab these monologues. I mean they're each tour de forces um yeah. in themselves. I mean just that clip of the emotion and the, the stories. Um, Tracy Lord's in particular, and uh, for people who haven't seen the film, not giving everything away, she plays the agent, and she's a whack job. She's a whack job agent. Uh-huh. She's, she's a uh-huh. little bizarre, and she fills that role out beautifully and naturally. Has this huge monologue that, in its sense, in itself, is kind of nonsensical, but she fills uh-huh. it with such sense that you believe yeah. her, you know, when she delivers it. Um, what, where did that character come from, and how did you get inspired to write that? Because obviously, you know, she delivered it, but you were the one that it came from.
2: Yeah, well, you know, the film was built around that scene, that pivotal scene with his agent. Um, that was the first scene in my head with the movie, and I kind of worked back from that scene, so to speak, um, because it was just it was a scene in my head that just so summed up Hollywood she 's his friend, but he, but she 's his enemy she 's looking out for him, but she 's stabbing him in the back. You know what I mean? And it just a seemed a scene that to me summed up Hollywood because I you know I had a huge agent in Hollywood at one point. I' sold pilots, I had a serious development deal, but i've also been completely down and out like I, I've totally have ridden the Hollywood roller coaster as a writer-director. You know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. And um, I, I, that scene just sums it up, what it's like, as I'm sure you know, to be up and down in this town. And I, and I always thought of something that I read by the gay actor Rupert Everett. And he said something about Los Angeles uh, two decades ago. He said, Los Angeles is a phenomenal city to live in if you're successful in Hollywood. And he said, and if, not, and if you're not, you need to get out. And yeah. I've never forgotten that. Because, you know, LA is a great place to be if you're successful in Hollywood. If you're not, maybe you should be somewhere else. And it's true. Right. Right? And, and really, to me, I encapsulated that, or that's what I was trying to do, that sentiment in that scene. Because you're literally riding this roller coaster with the agent in that monologue. Where is this going? What does, what does this mean? You know what I mean? It's hilarious, but it's unnerving. And it was always there in my head. And then um, when I met Tracy, you know, she's kind of never done a role like this before. You know, it's, 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 a, it's a really serious, dry, dryly comedic role. I don't think she has anything in her canon like it. It's not like the great stuff she's done with John Waters. This is very different, you know. Right. She just has a certain soigner. And she nailed it. And she nailed it because, like Tracy told me, I know this monologue. she told me, I know this monologue and I know this woman and I know the Hollywood ride she's talking about. Tracy just knew it. You know what I mean? And, you know, she, 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 knows, she knows who Phyllis is and, and she knew what Phyllis was talking about without giving too much away. And she knew it. And working with her, remember, it was COVID, and so we were never able to meet up before the shoot. We could only talk about it over the phone. And then she came in, and I had five hours to shoot her, you know, to shoot a five-page monologue. And I chose to do it with three cameras. Um, So we have three cameras going in that scene. Um, So we could get Gabriel's reactions in real time, you know, not go back after and get his reactions, but get it in the moment. You know what I mean? Because without getting away, he's just really just sitting there reacting to her for five pages during this ruthless monologue. And, you know, yeah, the monologue sums up my view of Hollywood and sums up my view of L.A. And, you know, Phyllis, if you look at the way I shot it, where at the end of the monologue, she just disappears into black into the night. You know, she's kind of like the devil. She's one of these people hovering in Danny's life. You know what I mean? And she just swoops in like a demon. Because I saw the film as something like a horror film. Because, you know, he's stuck in this house, and there are all these things going on inside and outside the house, you know. And I, I wanted to, to give you the accurate sense that he's really not going to get out of that house alive, because he isn't, you know what I mean? He, and in essence, he doesn't get yeah. out of that house alive, you know. And that's, yeah, me it, was like a horror film.
0: Yeah. And I think part of the thing that was so brilliant about it was, you know, there's irony in what she was saying. Oh, yeah. But she was completely open about it. She was not even trying to hide the irony. It was like, you know, yeah, I'm cutting your throat, but, you know,
2: here's how I do it. You know, it's like, oh, Yeah, I'm going to explain to you why I'm still your friend, even though I'm splitting your own throat in front of you, you know. Yeah. And yeah. Tracy got that exactly. She said, Phyllis is his friend because she's giving him the respect of showing up and doing it in person.
3: And that was yeah. Tracy's
2: view. And I was like, that's exactly it. She is giving him the respect of showing up and doing it in person, you know. And and therefore, you know, and, and as Tracy said, if Phyllis is taking the time to school him in how this industry works, that's a friend. Because yeah. as, as you know, Tracy absolutely. said, other people in this town will stab you in the back and you'll never know what happens. She's like, she's doing it to his face, you know. So I, w- I want to pivot, pivot a little response. bit. Yeah, I want to pivot a little
0: bit from Tracy. To um, the other tour de force, or one of the other tour de forces in the film, and if if this film had been It's a Wonderful Life, this character would have been Clarence the Angel, um, and that is <laughs> Judy Geeson's character Lila, who shows up and she provides the heart of the film, the the love throughline, you know, mother courage. Um, what where did that part come from and that performance also was flawlessly brilliant um and Judy, of course, goes way back to sir to Sir with love and
2: um you know John really and, and yeah, yeah. And, and mad about you on t v yeah Judy's amazing, and she's a good friend of Carrie bardens that's how we got her, you know, like I said, a lot of this pivot, putting the film together pivoted on who who Carrie is um Judy's amazing, and that actually was the storyline that really got me into trouble with festivals. So what happened is, you know, I I wanted Danny, gay, Latino, and spinning out of control with drugs and alcohol and career issues, to bond with someone, and I did want that person to be white. Um, To begin with, I wanted him to bond with someone of experience in Hollywood, right? Because she's got that Hollywood backstory of the character, you know. And therefore, that person was likely to be white because I wanted him to Mm -hmm. bond with someone of decades of experience in Hollywood who knew what she was talking about. But also, I wanted to cut through what I consider a lot of the BS of woke, the race politics of woke that I feel separates us, you know. And so she is an angel, and she's kind of shot like an angel, you know, deliberately. Um, And they really bond And I absolutely loved working with Judy. She's a pro. You know, she's got a lot of dialogue (laughs) in this movie. She's a pro. And she came in and nailed it, and I loved working with Judy. But it's the storyline of the gay Latino bonding with the white woman that a lot of festivals objected to. And and I was like, man, I was trying to cut through that and get past that and make a story about human beings. But, you know… It was the race politics of the film. Why does he bond with a white woman? Why does a white woman save wow. him? that festival brought up to me in emails? Like they brought up that they had a problem with that, you know. So, so it, that was also a storyline that, you know, kind of got us into trouble because we had a lot of pushback with this film. That,
0: that blows me away. I mean, because I yeah. I'd heard, you know, mention of, of you having a struggle with the festivals And yeah. know, watching the film, I couldn't, I really could not strongly imagine what, in the film, bothered the festival so much. I mean, because even there's there's even um, comment where he the character he's up for is is somebody who is at the beginning of a transgender journey
2: and is right. saying, well, yeah. that
0: shouldn't be really an issue. He's not portraying somebody who is fully transgender, you know, and right. being cisgender, you know. And so I was. Like kind of going this, but that that actually does surprise me a lot because I think I I I don't think there's anything culturally that in the film that should bother anybody. I mean, I but then you know I'm coming
2: from a white perspective, so I I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, it's I didn't think so either, and so here's the thing, you know. It's just no-budget film, but I come with a pedigree because my prior work has been at Sundance and Cannes and Outfest and all the big festivals. So um, for me and for the, the cast and my investors, part of their willingness to do a no-budget film was because the filmmaker has an A-list festival pedigree. You know what I mean? And we really hit walls with this one that stunned me. Um, but there's been, um, uh, I think it was the Atlantic... Uh, wrote an article about the Cecil circuit this year and the New York Times wrote an article about it. You know, the Thessal's are are kind of scared right now. Um, You know, there was the whole issue that Sundance showed the doc on Guantanamo called Unredacted and it wasn't a film but the woman who made the doc was a white woman and then after she showed it there was pushback and then Tabitha uh, the African American woman who was the head programmer at Sundance, she left Sundance or was pushed out because of showing the doc. And that's in you know Sundance is in January, and I think what happened there with that film and Sundance really sent a chill down the festival circuit that they weren't going to show anything controversial that could get them in, in trouble. Do you know what I mean? There was the sense after wow. the whole thing was unredacted in Sundance that we're, if the head programmer of Sundance could lose her job over this. You know, and this is what a festival programmer told me, and he literally said, I swear, he goes, I'm not going to lose my job over your micro film. And so what it is, is I don't think there was a logic to what was going on with the pushback with my movie. Yeah. I believe it was a fear, and a fear doesn't have logic. You know, and, and, you know, Brody, I was listening to Brody's great recap of the election, and as we know because it came up with this election, fear is an emotion thing. It's not a fact-based thing. It's, it's something you put right. in people. It's something you stir up. And it may not have a logic. You just make people afraid, you know. And um, there was a fear, you know, I, my prior film, Elliot Loves, played 40, 40 Latino film festivals. And only one Latino film festival would show this film. And the other Latino film festivals who rejected it told me things like, we won't show a film where a white woman saves a Latino, and I'm like, that's a really reductive, simplistic way of looking at this movie. <laughs> to just pull that out, and, you know. Yeah.
3: Um,
2: we, we want, you know, uh, a huge, huge gay and lesbian film festival, the biggest in the country. That's shown all my prior work and for whom I worked. They programmed the film and then they dropped it, which never happens. So they programmed my film and then they said, look you know, your lead is transphobic and we're not going to show a film with a transphobic lead. And I said, right, but he learns. That's part of the plot line is him learning to to understand others. And they're like, we're still not going to show it. It's too dangerous. And that word came up, it's too dangerous. There was this fear that if you showed this film, this $50,000 gay left, you know, dark comedy, that you were going to get into trouble. And again, I don't think it was tethered to really anything in the film, just this fear that you would get into trouble and you would lose your job. And so we really were up against Woke with this one. And I have to say, my distributor, Breaking Glass, Rich Wolf and Breaking Glass, they've been amazing because they could have just chose to send me in streaming. And I and if they had done that before we played any festivals, I wouldn't be doing this interview with you now. We'd be getting no press. They could have just flushed the film away. You know what I mean? Right. And they right. did they stuck by it and I was like, Let's play the angles that were a provocative and controversial film. Let's just go with that and they agreed to go with that. You know, and also like I said, as an artist you have to play the cards that you're dealt. You're dealt. I'm not in charge of the deck. I'm not in charge of the cards I get. You play the cards you're dealt. You know what I mean? And I was yeah, like, Let's it, go with the where the controversial film this year. Right. Well it just kills
0: me that you are. I mean it kills me that, that this this is what is constituting controversy when I mean, in the bigger picture, it's sort of like we get into these intellectual silos where if this is controversial, you know, and you listen to, you know, 10 minutes of Ron DeSantis, it's like, this is not controversial. Right. You know, right. This is, this is so well said. Know,
2: solidly progressive.
0: You know, it's yeah. like, this hey. is,
2: that's, it's ridiculous. You know, it is, and, and it's, it's weird for me being a Gen Xer. Because, like, how would we have a Lenny Bruce in America today,
3: you know? And oh, totally. He,
2: he, he'd be in jail like he was last time, but they'd keep him there, you know? It was very weird to me. Again, you know, it shows how, how as Rich Wolf, uh, my exec producer and the head of Breaking Glass said, he said the culture has shifted beneath our feet so fast. And he said to me that two years ago we were the flavor of the month. We were in the Times of London. I was on the BBC. We were in the Hollywood Reporter. We were in Variety. We were on Deadline because everyone was like, wow, this $50,000 gay Latino film is shooting when nothing else is shooting in L.A. And we were the flavor of the month, you know. And then two years later, it's like, oh, my God, we're kryptonite, you know. And when that huge, huge gay lesbian film festival that has shown all my work and for whom I've worked programmed us and then dropped us, it was like, wow, that's how much the culture has shifted. You know, um, and it's crazy, but it's, you know, we, we, we debuted at Palm Springs Gay and Lesbian and we won two awards and I won Best Director and we just showed at this huge Latino Film Festival in New York, the Dominican Film Festival, I just showed it there last Sunday and no one ever as of yet has objected to anything and that's why we have to be careful with woke and political correctness. Because that's oh, not how yeah. the average person watches a movie or TV show. Nobody watches something looking to see if they're going to be offended. You know? It's, well,
3: it's, I it's also... I hate to use the term it, 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 oh,
0: it, The piece is enhancing the concept. Like, yeah. you know, there, there's nothing in this movie, and I'll tell you, anybody listening, trust me on this. There's nothing in this movie that in any way is anti-trans, you know, the right. character, fact, the you know, character is, is, yeah, the character, n- no one ever, you know, scoffs at it or, or belittles the, the need of trans people or trans actors or anything like that, and it just, it's like, you know, pick your pick your
2: battles, people, I mean, seriously. Yeah. you know, uh, and, and in fact, people, it, people tell Danny, that he needs to be more trans-sensitive, that he needs to understand this more. And that's part of literally and figuratively the dialogue of the movie because now that we have more trans performers and more trans characters, I wanted to explore the idea of playing trans, you know, because, and, and the idea of having to do it with a sensitivity and an understanding, you know, and exactly. And, and I'm like, I, was, I said to this big festival that dropped us, you're doing a disservice to the trans community because you're not allowing us to explore this. You know that's the price on the. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. like I said, no, I big, don't. Big think
0: – no.
2: Yeah, I think the issue really was not content. I think the issue was fear. I think there is unfortunately uh, a fear out there that you're going to show the wrong thing and get into trouble. You know, yeah. it's a fear, I, I, and I
0: I, I. I have to tell you, there's there's one part of the movie that I found disturbing. And I'm not even going to talk about what it is because I really don't want to put that out there for people to mm-hmm. to think about it. And you probably can guess what yeah. that, that could be triggering to people. And that's what I thought possibly controversy was about. You know, just because it was that was that was a lot to to take. But um, yeah, you know it's you know it's uh,
2: um, you know
0: so just. Just interesting
2: what what the molehills were the the people were yeah I, were you, you up can, again you yeah. can't anticipate it. I did think that what you're discussing would be the issue, you know because I went about something very sensitive in a very farcical way, you know right but right. to me, that was representative of Danny's state, the way he's not taking anything seriously, the way he's not absorbing it, and I did want to skirt the line and be provocative, and I thought. Well, if anything gets me into trouble, it'll be this, and it wasn't. That. It was <laughs> everything else. You and I are in total
0: agreement. If, if anything on there should have gotten you or would have gotten you in trouble, that that would have been it. So, so Kirchner, uh, with this film, and and uh, you know, it, it it sounds very much like you know, um, deep a deep soul film for you. Looking back on it, what is your takeaway? What is your what what do you feel like you learned in in creating this piece? Not just the experience of doing the film in the weirdest conditions ever, but but when you look at it as an art piece yourself, what what is your walkaway message?
2: I have you know two. It's, that's a great question. Thank you. Two things. The first is I noticed what you brought up. Like wow, you know that situation with that cable series, and then when I was let go, and then when I got a settlement. I look at the film and I was like, I had more anger about that than I realized. You know, because there's a lot of anger and judgment in ho- about Hollywood and movies. You know what I mean? That I was not conscious of or cognizant of. But I see that now and I'm glad I worked it through. And I'm glad I worked it through, through my art and by getting the film made as opposed to like Danny just drowning myself in drugs and alcohol. You know what I mean? So yep. yeah, I'm glad that I did that in a cathartic way. Um, the other thing I, I learned, the more sobering thing I learned per the conversation we've just been having for 30 minutes is, you know, as an artist, I'm going to be who I am and write and direct what I want. But I am, you know, for better and for worse, you know, much more cognizant now of where potential pushback can be. And, and that's not going to impact what I write, but it, it is going to make me savvier. It's just these are the times we live in. And I believe, not to be negative, because I'm a positive person, but there is a bit of a new McCarthyism going around about, oh, my God, you're going to get into trouble. Oh, my God, this is going to get canceled. Yep. You know, there's a fear out there. And it bothers me as a gay person and as a Latino. And, and, look, I've lived through a lot. You know, when my shirt was at Sundance, repped by the biggest agency in Hollywood, you know, and it was the year, uh, it was around 1999, I went to a meeting for a huge, huge, huge new series that had just debuted. Really one of the biggest series of the last 20 years, I swear. And, you know, my last name is Teresino. I'm half Italian, so I'm I'm half Dominican, and they didn't know I was Latino. And my hand to God, I, I, I walked into that meeting to be hired for the writing position, and the producer looked at me, and he said, oh, my God, they didn't tell me you were Spanish. We don't have any Spanish characters for you to write for. And I was like, Jesus Christ. whoa. So now to be in 2022 America where that's changed because people want Latino writers now, and that's wonderful, and they're seeking Latino writers, it's hard for me with Woke that political correctness has gotten so extreme, it's limiting me as an artist. Does that make sense? Right. Like it's a bit of a catch-22. Yeah, no, you know, like I said, I'm a Gen Xer. We fought for the idea that a woman can make and write whatever she wants. Um, you know, Shonda Rhimes talked about how in the 90s when she was doing rewrites, she could only rewrite the black characters in the scripts. They wouldn't let her rewrite the white ones. You can look, she said that. She could, As a black writer, she could only write for black characters. And for me now in 22, 22, 2022 America, it's about black, Latino, a woman, a person with disabilities. Right. It's that we can write and direct whatever we want, but with Woke, which I'm very much against if it isn't obvious – because of my experience with this movie, it's actually limiting us and saying, "Oh no, I can only write about characters in this way," and that's what worries me. And that's yeah. what I mean, it's a kind of a McCarthyism—we're limiting people, you know. Right. And Right. Um, and, no, we, have, like, we, I was we looking, have to be. Yeah, we have to be careful okay. of the
0: principle because it's like if if you if you try to accept a principle um, too much, and I you know I I totally get in terms of trans performers, you know, because I'm I'm absolutely feel like trans performers get undercast and i feel like trans performers should be cast in cisgender roles and not they should not be limited so but it's like if you start believing in limits it's going to come back to bite you because those limits limits if limits is the principle limits will will harm you um I want to pivot, though, because uh, we are starting to run out of time, and I do want to get some logistics out there. Where can people find the film
2: now and watch it? Sure. We just hit um, Amazon Prime and iTunes and Apple TV. And for those people who still buy DVDs, you can also get us on DVD, and I'm really proud because... We're already, I I just posted it on Facebook, we're already a a big bestseller on Amazon Prime. We're like number 13 for gay and lesbian film. We've only been out for a few days, and that stunned me. Um, But like I I said, and you've been saying, when you get to mainstream audiences, they're not looking at something through the prism of, can this offend me? And I think the film is a really sexy, outrageous comedy, and I thought a lot of the work of Pedro Amadovar when I made it. You know, it's sexy, yeah, it's provocative, and, and it's outrageous. And and like you said, I, I'm not for, you know, limitations on us as, as artists, you know. And so um, it it is provocative. We did get some controversy, but, you know, people are definitely responding to it, and I'm really happily surprised.
0: Yeah, it's got a 7 out of 10 rating. Actually, it's above a 7 out of 10 rating in IMBD. So, you know, people are obviously loving it and embracing it, which is, is super exciting. Now you are Thank on you. to some bigger bigger and more well funded
2: projects. What's what is in your future? Yes, definitely I'm doing I'm only doing more well funded projects. Correct. <laughs> you are correct. I'm I'm putting together a half a million dollar comedy in Miami about the OnlyFans world. It's about a bunch of OnlyFans performers. And it's another sexy, outrageous comedy, and I'm sure I'll be on your show next year talking about how people are trying to cancel me. Uh, so please book me in advance.
3: That's your um,
2: book. Yeah, that, sounds awesome. yeah. that sounds like a brilliant, yeah. brilliant concept. So yeah,
0: absolutely.
2: Yeah, it's about the OnlyFans world, and it's an OnlyFans mansion, and it's run by a black Republican woman, and it's set in Miami. That's the plot. Um, <laughs> Yeah I'm almost I just, wondering
0: was, if you're going to have a a, a heavyset um um uh orangish kind of ex politician uh, popping in on that. Just, uh, I mean I, he in may Florida, need Florida the of the all gig places come
2: next year. As Brody pointed out, you know <laughs> considering how the midterms went for Trump, he may need the gig. And it's certainly, you know, the only fans in the world is definitely his scene. We know what he likes. So Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> And, and, and then
0: what is the other project that you're working on? Um, I've been, you know, hopefully it'll go well. I've been
2: meeting with a streamer about a very, very big, it's, it's a $30 million historical project, you know. And um, so I, I'm now, like I'm toggling between these two projects to see which will go that I can get into production by next year. Because I did enjoy doing this and I love shooting it in 11 days and, and I don't want there to be 10 years from my next film again. You know, I, I want to, you know, want to get something going. I'm in a really good headspace with it. It was a rough ride with this one, but I'm in a really good headspace again now. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I can see. I, I mean, it, there are projects that we get that are, you know, they're the pay the bill ones, and then there are ones that kind of speak from your soul. And even yeah. the challenge that you went through, I, I still see it as I'm. I'm really glad you came out the other side, and are making it. You know, it's it's part of the art of it. I mean, it it mm-hmm. it. it it might be if it had gone smoother there was less controversy everything else and it had been safer it probably wouldn't have been as rewarding um because That's well said. when you Thanks watch it that. as a viewer you get this you get you get the edginess you get the you know you get challenged it's a it is a legitimate you know goal of art um and it fulfills it in, in a very big way so um I I hate to say it, but we are almost out of time here today, Um, and I do want to emphasize to the audience, the film that we've been discussing is Waking Up Dead, um, which don't try that at home, but uh, that is the name of the film. Um, And um, as as you heard, Amazon Prime and Apple TV um, are your go-to places to get that immediately, as well as DVD, because we love to drive up those sales. And, Caraceno, any last
2: words? Uh, Well, one, I had a great time, so thank you for having me. And two, you know, I, I feel like this is a great time as an artist to be gay, Latino, a woman, or trans. And so it is a great time to be alive. And I want to keep it positive and just celebrate all the work that we can do and get out there nowadays that we couldn't do 10 years ago. So ultimately, I think this is a great time in America to be an artist.
0: Great, perfect, perfect, And thank you so much for being who you are and doing what you do and being with us today and i do uh, I do love what you just said in terms of this is a great time, and that would be my encouragement to everybody listening is there material out there, there's artistic material out there. Go out, absorb it. It's, um we didn't get used to have things like this that were this mm-hmm. thought provoking and you know, covering these subjects uh, like this in the past. And you're in a golden age where you get to have that. So don't ignore it. Don't watch, you know, reality TV instead. Go out and really dig into these art forms. And that is all the time we have left this week for Rated LGBT Radio. Thank you so much for joining us. We will be back again next week. Um, We are going to have an incredibly – sensational show i have no idea what it will be about but i guarantee you we will fulfill those adjectives so for me and brody and by the way read los angeles blade losangelesblade.com it is the best news around and it is original it doesn't tap off other people um and it is finger to the pulse of lgbtq issues um so check that out and uh tune back and listen to us again next week
3: You've been listening to Rated LGBT Radio.